China has a new data privacy law that was enacted on August 20th this year. It went into effect on the 1st of November. It was designed to protect online user data privacy. As a result, it is expected to add more compliance requirements for companies in the country. But there is expectation that it will affect US tech companies as well. Well, I'm impressed at the speed of how they do it. There was a round of regulating activity, wanted to implement antitrust. And within a year, things are moving. Almost at the same time, or a month earlier, another law went into effect in China, the data security law. So is there a difference between the two? To the Security Lab podcast. China's new data privacy law is also called the Personal Information Protection Law. So uh, maybe it's similar. It's supposed to work like how our personal data protection uh, in Malaysia works as well. Um, it protects it protects um, our our data privacy, our personal information. Uh, I'm curious about. Uh, I would I'm I would love to find out how it will affect the US US tech companies when this this law came into effect on first of November. What's interesting in this law is that it has guidelines on a lot of things, um, personal data collection, data transferred outside country, and individual in charge of personal information. So the one thing that stood out is that um, if you don't have to be operating in China, you know, um, both inside China and also outside China is subject to this um, legislation. And that's something very new to me because um, generally, if we talk about privacy in China, um, the common consensus is that it's non-existent due to state surveillance. So it seems to me that with this new law, China is making itself heard in a very special manner and that it seems there is a difference in privacy for consumers and citizens. So that's something definitely worth looking into separating private actors and privacy from governments. So for those who do not operate in China itself, they are not uh, out of this regulation. And that to me, it's a very big impact on not only um, US companies, but also many others who are within the framework. What about the others? Do you have any thoughts on this? No, I was just going to say that um, something that Kat uh, brought up earlier and even well, so some of the companies were affected and uh, for instance Yahoo, right? Um, what they decided to do was like back out of China. So I, as far as I'm, uh, as far as 
an article is concerned, it says that China, I mean, Yahoo moved out of China. And in fact, um, even LinkedIn is considering a similar move, you know, to move all the operations out of China. Uh, so if, if this is the case, because like Prof mentioned, right, this regulation does not affect companies operating in China, but even others who are outside China. So something like this would really have drastic effects, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely because if you consider this tremendous amount of data being transferred out of China on a daily basis and from West into China itself. So I I think if you look at it, it's definitely, go, come, it's definitely going to impact a lot of um, ways, issues. Like for instance, the way we look at transparency and um, the data processing activities in a lot of organizations that operates and has businesses with China. I like to take a, a step into this, this new law. So just a quoting a, a simple requirement from this, this new law in China. One of the articles actually include employees and HR management. And this set of information is now protected personal information, which means that any information related to employment and HR, for example, say your compensation, your performance review, cannot be sent out of China unless if it's anonymized or employees have to give consent. So for example, if an organization in China wants to use a system like Workday, so that's going to be an issue because one thing is you can have your servers in China and you can operate or your employees must give you consent and say, yes, my personal information related to my organization is now going to be going out of the country, which means that there may be a lack of uh, regulation or rules that can apply. So that's an interesting view of things. Secondly, how do we compare or benchmark this against GDPR? Now, GDPR is a bit more forgiving if you're outside of European Union jurisdiction. But whereas for this particular regulation, it's not so. So if it is required, it's required. So you have to do it as per what the law says. You can't just simply say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of China, so I'm going to work based on, on how I see what my country does. No, it doesn't work that way. So if you want to allow data transfer from China to your, to your country or to your organization, you have to follow suit what the Chinese law says. In a way, if you ask me, that's a good thing because at the end of the day, you have to meet to a certain standard in order for you to be able to operate. And China now being big enough have started taking a lead into how data secrecy, data privacy uh, that's, that's being managed globally because you're no longer living in a vacuum. We are all in a connected economy and China's realizing that while they want to be able to circumvent all these issues around globalization, there's only that much you can do. So the only other way is to say that I now have a law that is going to go beyond my shores, that's going to go beyond my boundaries and say, if you want to use my data, if you want to use my citizens' data, 
you now have to be bound by this set of requirements, which is quite interesting. I'm going to take a step at this from another from another uh, direction. Um, it all started when uh, when Alibaba's Jack Ma said what he said. It was something pretty controversial, and uh, and the 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 perception in the news in the media was that uh, he upset uh, regula- regulators in China, uh, and then from there on, I just I don't know. Maybe it's a matter of like, like selective reading because then I started to. To, to discover a lot of news about regulatory crackdowns coming be, uh, coming up in my news feeds, right? And and I'm just like, a, I have to say, I'm actually very impressed because the, they, they did it in like an almost a clockwork efficiency, these regulatory crackdowns. And I wonder if uh, these regulatory, regulatory crackdowns are meant to rein in uh, specifically Chinese technology companies Right. Uh, for, for example, there's uh, antitrust, um, and and uh, this is based on a report by the South South China Morning Post. They've got an annual annual Chinese internet report where they report about the state of our technology and the internet industry in China. So there was uh, the the. Antitrust, which they they talked about, uh, is uh, uh, specifically seem to be seem to be uh, relevant for two of the two of the big internet companies in China, like Alibaba, Tencent. Uh, so they are they are being reined in, you know, even fintech. And if you if you look at it. Uh, N Group, which is a huge financial uh, company in in China, very uh, which is very popular, also owned by Alibaba. Yeah, they they are being reined in as well, you know. And then then there's data protection. Uh, yeah. So because of apparently because of authorities growing unease about the data practices of of tech firms, and this has caused the accelerate uh, acceleration of leg- legislation. Right, and then cryptocurrencies, and then forced delisting, and and uh, and so on and so forth. All this seems to 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 be relevant for the Chinese technology companies. In enjoying the show so far, subscribe now so that you don't miss out on the latest episode. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. Visit podcast.securitylaw.asia to get the links to subscribe. I guess you're right, Kat, because um, you you can't you you can't boil the ocean. So I don't think China will go after companies outside of China for a start. My my take on China is that you know the the that in China there's a source of fear and controversies a lot of it. And now, with this rule come up, I don't know. It seems to me there is a difference between how they treat the consumers and there is a difference between how they treat their own citizens. And, and oh. that's really controversial to me. How? Explain. I was also wondering, how, how is that, how, what does that look like? You know, consumers well, and citizens? You know, because if you look at it, consumers, they... they 
you see all the regulations are put on businesses, companies and all those things. Is that one way, you know, uh, to, to spur the economy and make them grow stronger? I think so, probably. And, and the way they do that is to give protection or rather to tell the consumers, which are also their citizens, that don't worry, you can do, you can engage, build up our economy because you will be protected. You have the rights to even ask that your data be deleted. How many companies have that? I mean, in around the world, do you do I have the right to ask that my my data be deleted? I don't know about that. But with this new law, there is this right to um, for in individual rights to deletion of their own data. So that's something really good for me. But on the other hand, we also read of a lot of surveillance issues where if you look at it, then they're looking at it from a citizen perspective. So that's why I say they are controversial and it is contradicting. But at the same time, it comes from the same authority. Mm, Okay. I'm going to chip in and... and speak a little bit of parallels about PDPA and then later cover some of my experience in GDPR. So PDPA in Malaysia, also same issue, only covers commercial transactions only. So I, I can't recall, but I remember writing about it where, you know, I, I asked the commissioner, does a name card constitute into a personal information? And, and that spewed into a whole lot of debate about personal data and what constitute personal data and what's not. So back to this, um, government agencies are not bound by PDPA in Malaysia. But this law basically says that even government agencies, state agencies, have to be mindful as to what data that they are requesting which is kind of interesting because we've always had this perception that China has this overarching view. I mean, with all their CCTVs and credit tracking and all that, you you kind of think that you're you're living in this uh, completely monitored matrix of a world. Uh, but this law kind of tells you the other way around. It, it practically tells you that even government agencies cannot have an overarching view of personal information. Now, the next thing I like to draw parallel is that the Malaysian law doesn't define too many things uh, as sensitive personal information. So you have uh, political views, uh, medical records defined as sensitive information. Whereas the, the Chinese law actually says that sensitive personal information includes information, biometrics, uh, religious belief, specific identities, medical and healthcare, financial accounts, whereabouts, and personal information of minor under the age of 14. Well, surprisingly, a lot of this is not even covered in the Malaysian version of the Act. So it's it's quite comprehensive. And, and Prof, about your rant on the right to be forgotten, let me tell you, it's not that easy. All right? I had tons of trouble trying to implement GDPR requirements because they had the same requirement, right to be forgotten. And we have to issue a certain, say, yeah, your data has not been completely deleted. Let me pose you a, a technical challenge, right? How do you technically delete somebody's record from an organization? Well, let me give you the answer to that. You have to delete them from their online systems. And, you know, uh, let me tell you, uh, when I was in the telco, we didn't have one system. We had multiple systems, right? 
So you have the billing system, you have CRM, a whole lot of stuff, okay? That's the first part of the problem. That said, all these systems have backups. And we have backups right up to statutes of limitation, right? Now, if I were to completely remove your trace from all the systems, I have to restore the backup, delete your data, dump it back again. And I have to do this for all seven years. And each year, I may have 20 tapes per month. So figure out the logistical nightmare of how we can actually get that done and to make sure that I can give you a, a certificate and say, Prof, here you go. You have not been forgotten. Thank you very much. Oh, I stay away from nightmares. There are a few things here if you, if you look at it. Number one, it says that uh, there are um, provisions for data processing activities using a minimized approach. Right? They, are, they have to abide by the principle of necessity, which means they have to collect only what is needed. And then data should be deleted once its purpose is fulfilled. The second one, as I mentioned earlier, is their individual rights. And that includes automated decision-making processing. And from what I read, it includes profiling and stuff like that. Now, all this sounds well and good, very nice, desirable. But if, if what you say, the right to be forgotten, is just you know, a term which is very difficult to put into practice, then are we saying that all those, um, the European Union, the Philippines, where this concept has been discussed widely and put into practice, they are just something conceptual, which is only safe to, do be, to have, but then never put into practice. I don't know. Talk about contradiction. You know, uh, you know how in in major cities in in China, digital payment is is huge. It's like if you want to if you want to pay, uh, digital payment is the way to go. In fact, I I know uh people almost never carry cash when they are in certain location locations in China, right? There there is this thing about uh dig digital uh currencies as well, if I'm not mistaken. China is also one of the first to to come up with a, a central bank digital currency in certain locations in China, not all of the country yet. Uh but at the same time, also talk about contradictory, yeah. They they ban Bitcoin mining and ban <laughs> cryptocurrencies. So go figure. I'm going to take a stab at what uh, Prof said earlier about right to be forgotten. Uh, when GDPR was introduced, some organizations and some countries made it very clear, we will not take any business from European Union. And some, some organizations took a bold stance and said, no, we, we cannot meet your requirements. It's just too arduous. We can't do it. But of course, you can't say the same thing if you're an organization that operates in Europe, you have to meet the requirements. And we've also seen how uh, fines have been doled out by the regulators based on organizations that, that have not met the GDPR requirements. It's, it's an interesting development because in, in one hand, you, you want the organizations to be secure and take care of your privacy. On the other hand, the organization goes in a completely different direction and looks at okay, what can I do with all this rich data that I have? Like what we've probably spoken some time ago, it's that there has to be a balance between 
how we protect data and how we use data. Because today we are in a data world. That, that there's no such thing as someone who doesn't have any data. When when someone is born, a birth certificate is produced. And more likely today, if a baby is born, then you know that data is in a computer somewhere, goes to the national registration department in order for them to get the certificate. It's in a hospital somewhere that records the birth of the baby, the medicine that was issued, whether the baby had any allergies or, or any medical conditions. So from the time that you're born up to the point that you pass on, there's data that's constantly being generated. And, and a lot of times we we don't even have access to this data. And, and I guess that's, that's the kind of frustration that I share with Prof because it's like, data is being generated, you have no clue, something gets leaked, and we're trying to grasp what do we do with it. And, and, and a lot of times, there's barely anything we can do. And hopefully, these kind of regulations um, should be something that all countries should be looking at enhancing and probably have a common framework in order for the world to have a clear understanding. Um, we spoke about about these kind of issues, uh, we had we spoke about an incident about how one of the Thai tourist visa system had a system malfunction and, and the data was exposed. And you know, and, and I shared that I went to Thailand. I'm most likely one of the persons who would would have been affected by that. I never got any notification, and I had no clue if my data is there. But based on the timeline and the data that was exposed. I am rather confident that my data is out there, but there's really nothing much I could do about it. Right. So hopefully these kind of regulations, number one, creates more awareness and, and gets harmonized across the board because there are countries that are that are not specific about data privacy, but they do have some requirements. And like what Prof has said before, there has to be that synchronicity between security and privacy so that it works hand in hand. And I guess in a, in a way, I would say that China is going in the right direction uh, by having these laws and actually putting a stake in the ground that says, this is where we are and this is what we want to do. And this is how we see things going moving forward. And, and I think that's really a, a good step forward. And I, I really hope that all the other uh, countries within Asia, as well as uh, everywhere else, starts looking at this and, and looks at how they could actually emulate some of the good points that's been put into this law. Thanks for joining us this week on Security Lab. Make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify or via RSS so you'll never miss a show.